Hi, this is Begby Berserker, and you're listening to Tale of the Manticore. The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore, Season 2. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here, you will find the unpredictability of old-school RPG paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred, and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. In the last chapter, the party talks at length about their upcoming mission. We learn that Lord Goddard is both blind and well-liked by his servants. He even participates in acts of charity. For these reasons, some of the characters are not sure how they feel about murdering him until Bazu, of all people, makes a case for the deed, insisting it is completely righteous. Shanae doesn't need much convincing. She offers to make the killing blow. But, morally problematic or not, everyone will have a part to play. To help them, Bromley and Troll have sent Yellowfly and Jace home with a care package. In it is an enchanted suit of chainmail and a traditional Nebulic axe, which is to be used to remove Lord Goddard's head. With limited information, the PCs set about making plans. One big concern is the presence of an expert swordsman in Goddard's employ, with whom they will eventually have to deal. Another problem is that the interior of the Lord's estate has never been seen by anyone on their side. It's unknown what they'll face once over the outer wall. Perhaps the remedy to this latter problem might be a 7th level rogue with magical silence and invisibility. Magically enhanced, Shawnee breaks into the compound just after dawn. We follow her progress as she gains entry into the main building and then creeps her way to the stairs. Shawnee has a hunch that Lord Goddard will be on the second floor, and pretty soon we'll find out if she's right. During game prep, both with Totem and to a lesser extent as a DM at a live table game, I often plan encounters using a kind of 1-2-3 model. Whether it takes the form of a social encounter, a puzzle, or a combat, there's often an easy challenge at the beginning of the mission, then a tougher challenge, and finally a climactic one. The module that is the assassination of Lord Goddard has been designed with the same kind of structure. First, Shanae had to get over the wall and avoid the thorn bush on the other side. Failure here would have caused her to take a bit of damage, but more importantly, it would have stripped her of her invisibility spell. That hurdle, and it was a fairly easy one, is now behind her. Shanae, who is presently climbing the stairs to the upper level of the Goddard estate, is about to encounter the second obstacle. And this one is not so easy. Chapter 51, Part 1, Day 128, Early Morning. Shanae, 26 of 26 hit points. Spells in effect. Shanae has 30 minutes remaining on her Resist Cold buff. One and a half hours remaining on her Silence 15-foot Radius enchantment, and she will remain invisible until she performs an attack or takes any amount of damage. 
twin beams of light slanted in through a pair of slit windows at the crest of the marble stairs. To her left and right, a hallway extended, leading to the separate wings. Shawnee took the one closest to her, turning right and padding across a long and narrow carpet runner, bearing the same green and yellow diamond pattern as the rug below. Midway down the hall, she paused to listen. Not a sound, save for the soft ambient noises of the morning, audible through the slit windows. On she went. The hallway had two doors, both in the south wall, with one in the middle near her current position, and one at the end. Shawnee tried the handle on the first door, and found it turned easily. Slowly. Slowly. She eased it open a crack, and looked inside. Beyond the threshold was a small chamber with an obvious function. It was clearly some kind of music room. There were all manner of instruments resting on shelves or leaning against the sparse furniture. A pair of tabers, a brass crumb horn, with its serpentine length knotted into an unlikely tangle of metal pipe. There was a tambourine hanging from a peg on the wall, as well as several other percussive devices Shawnee did not know the names of. A lute leaned against an upholstered chair and a pair of silver flutes. One long and thick as her thumb, the other small and delicate, sat in velvet-lined boxes of carved ivory. The room had no exits, and there was nothing here to interest Shawnee, so she retreated back into the hall and continued until she reached the door at the end. Here, she once again stopped to listen, putting her ear to the door, trying to determine if there was anyone on the other side. This time, she did hear something. Several things. There was a low murmur of conversation, perhaps two voices, maybe three. She could also hear several distinct types of birdsong coming from the other side of the door. The latch on it was quite heavy-looking, and normally, Shawnee would have had to take great pains to open it quietly, but not today. She twisted the handle and heard a loud click. Still, even with the knowledge that the sound could not penetrate the bubble of Bazu's enchantment, she broke out in a cold sweat at the noise. As she had done with the music room door, she pushed it open so gently and slowly that a witness, if there were any about, would wonder if an errant breeze had caused the door to open on its own. As she'd expected, there were people on the other side of the door. Luckily, neither of them noticed it opening. One was a fresh-faced young man with a square jaw and a strong physique. He must have just finished whatever he had been there to say, for he leaned over and planted a kiss on the other figure's forehead before exiting the room through a second door. The second person, Shawnee could tell at a glance, was Lord Goddard. She knew this, even though he was seated in a chair by the window that faced away from her, so all she saw was the back of his head. Old age had only permitted Goddard to retain a wispy and white fringe of hair, and had rendered his skin wrinkled and saggy. A string fell from the ceiling and hung by the man's left hand, where it terminated in a brass ring. Following its length upwards, Shawnee could see that the string was connected to a pulley, and ran the length of the ceiling to where it was tied to a little bell, fixed above the lintel of the second door. The bell could be a problem, thought Shawnee, but it was not the most immediate problem. This room was a master bedroom but it was also a sitting room and must have been where Goddard spent the majority of his time. The Lord appeared to have more than a passing fondness for songbirds, for, supported on side tables, arranged on their own custom stanchions of looping cast iron, and hanging from chains fixed in the ceiling, were at least a dozen bird cages of different shapes and sizes. Shawnee could name some of the birds. There was a red cardinal, a willow warbler, a hermit thrush, a linnet, and a nightingale, among others. Together they produced a sweet cacophony, and this, even more than Goddard's bell on a string, was a problem. There would be no way to get close without silencing those birds as she drew near, and the sudden cessation of birdsong would be sure to alert Goddard. Shawnee bit her lip and tried to think. What would Yellowfly do? 
He had told her more than once that all problems have their solutions if you just stop to really think. She then remembered Bazu saying that the silence spell would wear off a couple of hours after it had been cast. She figured that by now the enchantment's duration was roughly halfway through, so she would wait. Then she would sneak up the old-fashioned way and kill the mark. Minutes passed. Ten? Twenty? Thirty? How many it was difficult to tell, but Shawnee started to think with regret that each one would have made for a perfect opportunity. The old man was alone, undefended. He even had his back to her, not that that really mattered. She began to wonder if she were not squandering Bazu's gift. So what if the old man heard his birds go quiet all of a sudden? So what if he was alerted to her presence? By then it would be too late. And the string attached to the bell? That would be a risk no matter what she did. No, she was being a fool. She rose from the corner she had tucked herself into, but the moment she stood, the old man suddenly tugged at his string and the bell rang. Shawnee wanted to curse out loud, but she could not be 100% certain the magical silence was still in effect, so she clenched her jaw tight around the words and settled for muttering. This will is tears. Reluctantly, she crouched back down, and just a few seconds later, a new face appeared from the door nearest Goddard. It belonged to a young woman, only a little older than Shawnee, dressed similarly to the washerwoman, with the exception of a silver brooch worn on the breast and a cap of black felt that covered her hair. When she spoke, she did so with a foreign accent that Shawnee could not place. Chapter 51 Part 2 Day 128 Early Morning As usual, the increased chirping of the songbirds announced her arrival. Good morning, my lord. Did Lucan pay a visit yet? Marita had been valet to Lord Goddard for years. She had seen plenty of his cousins and nephews come and go. They all came for the same reason. He was here not thirty minutes ago. You missed him. And did young Lucan pay his respects and wish my lord health? Certainly. His breeding would permit no less. Goddard turned his sightless eyes to the young valet. He smiled mischievously. Ah, but did he do a little more, perhaps? As ever. Why else do they come? He asked for a loan of five hundred crowns and gave me a kiss on the head for collateral. <laughs> and did my lord capitulate? What would be the point in refusing? Besides, he came all this way. And in winter. Added Marita. Goddard chuckled. <laughs> Aye, in winter. <laughs> so he must really need it. Marita laughed. <laughs> you are too good to them, my lord. Perhaps I am. The old man gave a jocular shrug. But I remember what it was like to be young and always short on credit. Marita chuckled and busied herself with some mundane tasks. Will my lord have a bath today? She asked after a while. With my most esteemed guest already come and gone? No, I think not. It would chill my bones. Lord Goddard touched his neck. I am become something of a porcupine overnight, however, Marita. Perhaps a shave is in order. Very good, my lord. I'll bring a hot towel, said the valet, spinning on her heels and walking back out. Goddard leaned back in his seat. His birds chirped and cooed as he listened, smiling and awaiting his valet's return. A minute later, Marita was back, holding a hot towel in her hands. Ready? She asked. In response, Lord Goddard slouched all the way back into his chair and lifted his face. Marita dutifully draped the hot towel over it. Don't move now. I'll be back with the razor and on. Goddard luxuriated in the feel of the hot towel over his face. All around him, his birds chittered and piped joyfully, calling back and forth to one another. Minutes passed. 
But before the towel had grown cold, Marita returned. In one hand, she held an obsidian razor. In the other, a small silver bowl overflowing with soapy lather. How was that? Is my lord ready to begin? Goddard did not reply, but he allowed the valet to remove the towel and apply lather all over his neck, up to the jawline, but leaving the beard on his face alone. Marita, do we still have any of that delightful lavender oil left? I believe so, my lord, was the reply. Let's have some of that when the shave is done, then. I'll get it now so I don't forget, said Mirita. And then, still holding the obsidian razor, she walked to the other end of the room, where, unbeknownst to her, an invisible assassin was crouching in the corner. Shawnee had been deliberately running down the clock on Bazu's silence bell when Marita was summoned by the Lord's Bell. So now, as the valet approaches her hiding spot, I need to ask, has the spell expired? Interestingly, Shawnee won't know whether it has or hasn't until Marita enters its radius. If that happens while the enchantment is active, the valet will believe she's been struck deaf all of a sudden. That would be alarming and might cause problems. But even worse is the alternative, because Shawnee is crouching right in front of the cabinet where the lavender oil is kept. Shawnee has already mostly closed the door behind her, so exiting is not an option. One way or another, these two are about to come into contact. Now, I haven't been counting the minutes precisely, but I know it's been close to two hours since Shawnee began her mission. I'll say there's a 50% chance that the silence spell has expired. A high-low roll on a d20 will work it out. An 11 to 20 means the spell is still in effect. A 1 to 10 means it's expired. The roll. I've got a 19. RPG Match is a TTRPG matching service that allows you to browse and connect with other tabletop folks who like to play like you do. Want to find someone to play a new game with? RPG Match. Hard to find players who will actually show up on time? RPG Match. RPG Match asks the important questions about safety tools, character death, and stylistic preferences, so you're guaranteed a good fit before you sit down at the table, or VTT. RPG Match is also partnering with major publishers from Chaosium, to Free League, to Paizo, and more, to allow you to unlock special badges. But RPG Match is more than a matching service. They're building a community online from the ground up, with tabletop gamers in mind. Best of all, it's all free. Visit rpgmatch.org today and see what they've got to offer. Use the URL rpgmatch.org slash Tale of the Manticore to get a special Tale of the Manticore badge on your profile. Chapter 51 Part 3 Day 128 Morning Sean A. 26 of 26 hit points Spells in effect Shawnee has five minutes remaining on her silence 15-foot radius enchantment. She will also remain invisible until she performs any attack or takes any amount of damage. Marita was quite sure there was still some lavender oil left. She remembered that it was kept in a little purple glass bottle in the cabinet at the back of the room. Goddard's master bedroom was rectangular in shape, some 30 feet wide by 60 feet long. She had to pass by all of her employer's pet birds as she went. She stopped to check a few cages, decided that they were amply supplied with seed, and continued. Funny, the room's back door was slightly ajar. She hadn't noticed before. Marita wondered if perhaps Master Lucan had taken his leave by this exit. It seemed possible, if unlikely and inconvenient. She would close it so her master would not feel a draft. 
After all, one could not be too careful with one's health in the winter. What was it old Tash said? Something about... Marita felt as though she'd suddenly become drunk. Her hearing had completely gone, like a candle flame blown out. One hand went to rub an ear. Still, nothing. The feeling was extremely disorienting. If she'd had more time, true panic might have set in. But as it happened, things progressed from shockingly strange to terrifying much too quickly for that. Mere seconds after all of the sounds of the world had suddenly vanished, a small form, humanoid but indistinct as though composed of shadows, appeared out of thin air, right in front of her. There was a flash of metal, and then... Even though Shawnee is not behind the valet, I'm still allowing the use of her thief's backstab skill because she's attacking from invisibility. The valet is extremely vulnerable, as she has an armor class of 10, and with a d4 as a hit die, only two hit points. To hit, with all bonuses considered, Shawnee needs to roll a four or better. If she hits, her strike will do double damage, so that will be an instant kill, given Marita's hit point score. I'm not going to enter into combat for this encounter because, well, it'll probably be over in just a few seconds. Here's the roll. Huh. Would you believe it? I got a three. Shawnee swings her short sword with ferocity, but she misjudges the available space and the blade strikes one of the nearby birdcage stanchions. Metal clangs loudly against metal, and that noise is quickly followed by a primal scream that bursts from Mirita's throat while her eyes go wide with terror. Now, this is bizarre, because inside the bubble of silence, Shawnee can hear everything, while Marita is in a world of utter soundlessness, and Lord Goddard can hear nothing within the spell's radius of effect. So while this vicious attack is taking place, he still hears uninterrupted birdsong. Still, Shawnee's failure to land a hit could be disastrous. It's clear to me that Marita would try to escape at this point, but it's equally clear that Shawnee's attack must be counted as a surprise. That means we need to go to initiative. If Marita wins, she will flee, and the general alarm will be raised. If she loses, Shawnee will get one more chance to silence her permanently and keep that from happening. The rolls. Marita's initiative. A two. Shawnee's initiative. A three. Shawnee will get a second chance. She had better not waste it either, or things will go very badly from here. Now that she's visible, she loses the backstab bonus, and now needs an eight or better on a d20 to hit. This is an important role, Shawnee. Do not mess this up. Here we go. An 18. She redoubles her efforts and thrusts her blade, which now sports a nick upon the length, into the valet's chest. <laughs> a kill is no longer automatic, though it is likely. The damage on a d6 is... A 5. Shawnee's blade enters Marita's breast, right below her silver brooch, and the valet dies, gurgling on the thief's sword. Jeez. That was way too close. I'll be honest, I had taken it for granted that this hurdle would be cleared with ease. That'll teach me to assume anything in a game of D&D. Let's return to the narrative and see what happens next. Lord Goddard felt a trickle of soapy lather roll around to the back of his neck. It made him shudder involuntarily, and he reached up to wipe it away, careful to avoid disturbing the rest of the soapy mass. Good Vesaluna, Marita had been gone for a while. He supposed she was unable to find the bottle. It's a little square-shaped bottle with a teardrop stopper, if I remember correctly. He called helpfully in a slightly raised voice so she could hear him from the far end of the room over the noise of birds. Still, he waited. Where the devil? Did she leave? 
He felt a presence by his side, and then in front of him. Oh, oh, there you are. Did you find it, then? There was no response. Perhaps the valet was annoyed at having had to search around for his favorite scent. Tell you what, your name day is coming up in a few weeks. How would it be if I bought you some perfume? I bet you would like that. There was no reply. He tilted up his chin, making his Adam's apple stick out and form a little hump in the lather. Perhaps. Would you be a dear and save me the trouble of opening the safe box? Prepare Lucan's 500 coins for me. The catch is hidden so well I always have trouble finding it. While you're doing that, take another 10 crowns for yourself and go into town. The blue yonder sells an oil made from irises that is quite delightful. Or you could go with classic rose. Lord Goddard felt the edge of the obsidian razor touch his neck. It stayed there for a moment, and then began to make little sweeps over the stubble. A second rivulet of watery soap cut loose from the rest of the lather and slid away, following the first, but it was caught by the barber's cloth. Goddard smiled in appreciation, but the shaving stopped. I... I can never quite remember how that safe box is open. I'm such a forgetful ninny sometimes, you know. The shaving resumed. Little fingers pulled gently on the loose skin of his neck and drew the razor up, removing the coarse white hair and leaving it smooth. Goddard could hear the breathing of the woman who shaved him, even under the noise of the birds. He had excellent hearing. Since losing his sight years ago, he had learned to rely on his other senses. He had a good nose, too, and considered himself something of a connoisseur of perfumes and oils. Keeping his lips together, he inhaled deeply, taking in the smell of soap, while the razor once again touched his skin, pressing down gently. Lord Goddard really does have a good sense of hearing and a good sense of smell. Would he notice that his barber is not the same person as before? Has he already noticed? His offered conversation has received no reply, but it's reasonable that his valet is simply concentrating, or she might be a little annoyed. Goddard brought up the topic of his hidden safe box. This might be innocent conversation with the servant he implicitly trusts, or he might suspect that something is wrong and is attempting to buy time. Which is it, I wonder? As usual, the dice will decide. Because Shauna is trying to pull off a kind of acting job here, delaying the killing stroke in case there's more information about the hidden safe box forthcoming, I think the roll will be a charisma check. This means she needs to roll equal to or under her charisma score of 9. I don't think there are any mitigating circumstances here. A straight check feels correct. Here's the roll. How much is left in winter, I wonder? Are we halfway through, do you think? Personally, I cannot wait for the spring. It will be nice to get out on the water again, do some fishing. The razor stopped moving, and shortly thereafter, Goddard heard an almost imperceptible new sound. A knife being drawn from a sheath. Whoever you are, you do not have to do this. Goddard's light and conversational tone was gone. Now, though still controlled, it had a husky quality to it. I have money. I can tell you how to get it. I, I, and I give you my word that I will not call out. As he spoke, he reached his left hand forward by an inch, wiggling his fingers, and trying to find the little brass ring attached to the bell pole. But it was no longer there. He felt pressure at his throat once again, and could tell instantly that it was not the obsidian razor at this time. There was cold steel against his skin. What have I done to deserve this? Goddard tried to keep the tremors of fear from his voice, but it was impossible. 
Did he really kill me in cold blood? The blade did not move, nor was it removed from his skin. Encouraged by this glint of hope, he continued. Perhaps, perhaps you hesitate because you are not truly a killer at heart. To take an innocent life, it is no small thing. Now he felt a minute increase in the pressure against his neck, and he knew his life was about to end. I will not beg, he whispered. This time, his voice did not waver. He felt a sensation like ice-cold water move across his neck in a straight line, and then everything faded to black. Shawnee looked at the corpse before her. The white lather at the neck was dyed pink. The severed string of the bell pole swayed in the light breeze coming from the window. She tossed the brass ring in the ground and sniffed. Then she shouldered free her backpack, pulled out the Nupulic axe, and said, Yours was not an innocent life. As the chorus of birds continued to perform their joyful aria, Shane hefted the axe and collected her grim souvenir. Thanks for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you're enjoying the show and would like to help to support it, there are lots of ways to do so. You can recommend it online or to friends. You can like and retweet episode announcement on social media. You can pick up One Shot in the Dark, the Pendulum World Building Tool, or Encyclopedia Manticorica on DriveThruRPG. And finally, you can rate or review the show on your podcatcher of choice. I am both grateful and inspired every time someone lets me know they like what I'm doing. Thank you. Please allow me to share a couple of your kind reviews. These two were both posted on YouTube by Axie, A-X-I-I-E, and Valen Nightblade. Axie writes, Things are definitely ramping up, each thread pulling tighter into what I can only imagine is a hangman's knot. Good stuff, and looking forward to more. Valen Nightblade comments, John, thank you for your inspirational work. Five stars. Thank you both to Axie and Valen Nightblade. Axie, I love that metaphor of the hangman's knot. I wish I'd thought of that. And Vela Nightblade, thank you so much as well. If you keep listening to them, I'll keep making them. At this time, I'd like to introduce the latest two additions to the Tale of the Manticore cast. Lord Goddard is given life by Jeffrey Sneed, one half of the duo in the wildly imaginative Roll and Tell podcast. This cast features two players in the mythic GME, one of my favorites and not to be missed. Marita, the valet, is played by another newcomer, Elodie Lloyd of the Weird Blue Yonder, Elodie makes OSR-inspired illustrations and has a bunch of games and supplements on weirdandblue.itch.io. Check it out. Both of these actors took on tough roles, and I really think they just smashed it. Thanks so very much, Jeffrey and Elodie. For listeners who'd like to get in touch with me, I'm at Manticore Tale on X or Tale of the Manticore Podcast on Instagram. If you prefer email, it's taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. Finally, I keep a blog where I post all kinds of show and RPG-related stuff, like art, maps, tables, crafts, and show notes. You can find it at taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com. The adventure will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore. It's the story where chaos rolls. A Pint of Cthulhu is an actual play TTRPG podcast with six friends in a state of various inebriation. We blunder our way through a variety of tabletop RPG systems and settings filled with hilarious results and plenty of dirty humour. Listen now on your podcast app of choice and reach out on our socials at A Pint of Cthulhu. So sit back and enjoy a pint of Cthulhu.